Hello, this is Terry Angus, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Full and Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and our attention is today turned to our next match under the cottage floodlights on Friday night as our old friends Wigan head to Southwest Six. Joining me to preview the match are Danny Boy and Marcy Ward. But first, I caught up with J-Mac to talk about one of our own. Fulham. Yes, we're here to talk about our multi-award winning promotion gaining Ryan Sessignon this week. And I still refer to him as R as it'll always be one of our own, even though he left for passes new in the summer. Joining me for a chat fresh from his stag do is J-Mac. You still alive then, mate? Oh, mate, I'm OK. Uh, stop spitting feathers, thank God. But yeah, I'm much better. Thank you, Master Frenchy. <laughs> I'm pleased to hear it. All right, let's get on with it then. So, Sess made his first team debut on Tuesday the 16th of August 2016, away at Leeds in a one-all draw at Ellen Road. And it's weird to think that's little over three years ago. It seems like he's always been here. And in many ways, he has as he grew up through the youth ranks at Fulham from a very young age. I believe he first joined in 2008 with his brother Stephen. He became the first player born in the 2000s to score in the English League when he scored against Cardiff in a two-all draw at the Cottage the following Saturday. What did you think, J-Mac, when such a young player from our academy made such an instant impact? Well, to be honest, mate, I thought we'd lose him quite quickly. Uh, you know, we've had things in the past when, you know, the early breakout of uh, Patrick Roberts and obviously Musa Dembele. I didn't think we'd have the pleasure of that season that we had when he scored 16 goals, for instance. Um, I thought, you know, suitors like Spurs would have probably have got him a lot quicker. Um you know, the fact that he started, you know, he joined our academy at the age of eight, 2008, yeah, eight years old, uh, obviously shows that, you know, he was a lot more of a sort of a different kettle of fish towards Roberts and Dembele's of, the, of our academy because he was with us a lot longer. So I did at first think that he would be something, but he would have actually, I, I was thinking he, we would lose him a lot quicker than we did, to be honest, but thank God we didn't. Yeah, we, we got three seasons out of him in the end. Um, yeah. And I think it was a mark of the man that he wanted to show some loyalty to the club, having, having exactly. been with us for, for, you know, for, for, for 10 years or so. And he wanted to, he wanted to make his mark at the club where, where he grew up. Yeah, so in, in, in that first season, he, he scored seven goals in 30 appearances, including a brace away at Newcastle. Um, yeah. And he got in the PFA Championship Team of the Year that year as well. In his first season as a 16-year-old, that's, that's such an incredible achievement, especially in the championships. It's, it's a tough division. Yeah. And it, it's clear right away, wasn't it? We had a top player in the making on our hands. Yeah, exactly. And what you're going back to earlier, saying that he's 16, of course, as soon as you, you know, look at his age and the goals he's scoring and his breakthrough, we knew we had a very, very special case on our hands, absolutely. But not through just his technique. I mean, you know, he wasn't the quickest or the most skillful with his feet. It was his mind. He is the yeah. one of the most, I mean, such a clever player he could find the he could find a space in the most cluttered room of your bedroom if you if he had to do you know what i mean he literally is so clever and so 
composed with the way he plays um and something that i've never actually witnessed as a fulham fan before seeing one of our own do that and i'm sure we'll talk on later on how actually you know that developed a lot more into him becoming a forward rather than a left back but yeah it for that sort of breakthrough in the first season when scoring seven out of 30 you did notice that we had a very different type of mind to compare to some sort of powerhouse sort of a, a young field walcott just pacing down the wing yeah, and it, it wasn't all about raw pace, was it? He he kind of glides past players, or not even yeah. glides past players. He he just he'd move the ball into a position and maybe play a one-two, but then he'd be in exactly the right place to receive the ball back for for that one-two. Well, it's weird because every time I watched him play at the cottage or away, he almost looked like he was sprinting. But it looked like you know that sort of con- not conveyor belt, but that sort of. Uh, platform that you stand on to get quicker to your gate at terminal five or something yeah. and yeah it looked like he was running incredibly fast but going against that and going quite slowly so all his runs were incredibly had masses of acceleration but not much sprint I can't really explain it it was just as though he was yeah. so careful about where to place himself and exactly the right moment the right time and very much the sign of a young Thomas Muller as opposed to sort of a young Gareth Bale or a young Eden Hazard in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a fair point. I think um, we talked about this a lot uh, whilst he was with the club and we were recording these shows, but we never really got to the bottom of whether he was a left back or whether he was a left winger or whether he was a a more a more forward type player. And when I was kind of googling him to to prepare my notes for for recording this, I noticed a story where Pochettino at Spurs is even saying, "Now I still don't know where I'm going to play Ryan Sessegnon yet." And I don't, oh, really? I don't think, I don't think that's clear where he's going to play yet. But I remember Slav Djukanovic uh, saying um, around about this time last year that he thinks eventually Sessegnon will play left back for a top side who does a lot of attacking, so that he spends a lot of time uh, up the pitch forward. Interesting. I mean. I'm not too sure about that. I mean, obviously, I'm not a professional like Slavisa, of course, you know, but I, I will say that, you know, you don't get a move to a top four Champions League side. Um, the, the whole reason Ryan Sessegnon was discovered was because of that amazing second season he had with us. And that was as a left winger, a left forward. And I don't really know many left backs that have made it on like Danny Rose's or, you know, the Luke Shaw's that have become sort of Champions League or top six left-backs in the Premier League by scoring loads of goals that make you look more like a sort of, you know, left left winger rather than a left-back. It's a strange one. I mean, John, who used to be on the pod, he's now in the Amazon or something. I don't know where he is now. He's like, I mean, he, he would always say that, you know, Cess is... Second position is sort of somewhere between a, a winger and a striker, and I, I'm not too sure about that still. But you know, we had the conversation of like, you know, do we think if Sessinon had stayed with us this season, he'd actually have a place under out of him and Luke, uh, out of him and Joe Bryan? Who would you pick? And I do think that Joe Bryan would still be my preferred choice as a left back, purely because Sess has done given us so much evidence to sh- to prove that he is a winger, a forward, and is, like I said, in that Muller mould of just poaching goals and being in the right place at the right time to, to pinch one in. But you've already said the word composure. And I'm going to throw another one in there, finisher. And mm. cool and calm under pressure when he's in the right place at the right time. And when you look at the goals he scored, 
he doesn't panic when he's in front of goal and he, he picks his spot. He, he buries that ball in the back of the net. He, do, he doesn't strike me as a sort of player who is going to score the odd goal from left back. He scores goals and that is what he does. Yeah, he scores goals, but also he's he's also in, like we said, the right place at the right time. He he's His first few goals of us were almost as if ricochets of other players and he just knew where to stand to, to you know, to collect it and put it in the back of the net. He was just so clever, composed and good at finishing by the end of it all with his time with us. But, you know, like you said, those aren't the attributes of a left back. And I guess pace now is with the modern game nowadays with being full backs and wing backs and their role now. But I don't see it. I don't see him being a left back uh, superstar. I honestly hope that he will be somewhere as a sort of a left forward. Okay, well, as I said earlier, he, he scored seven in, in his first season. Then we came yeah. on to the 2017-2018 season, our promotion season at Wembley. Let me just read you these, these accolades. Championship player of the season, young player of the season, apprentice of the year, in the PFA team of the season, in the EFL club developed XI, 15 goals in 49 games, and the club went 23 games unbeaten. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, yeah, everyone is just like everyone is just like a gunshot. It's like, oh, stop, stop! He's exactly, a, he's an animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, madness. How he rose from you know being an understudy. Um, oh, you're gonna have to help me now. Sorry, um, who was our left back from? Uh, who was our Scott Malone? That was it. How he rose from being number thirty um, under Scott Malone, you know, as a sort of like squ- squad rotation player for him to number three and doing all this stuff in only three seasons is, is unbelievable in such a formidable league as the championship is. Yeah, well, that, that season will go down as one of the finest ever, certainly amongst our, our younger fan base and probably amongst all of us, to be honest. Seth was such a huge part of that. Will we ever see such a player come through our, our academy again who made such an impact so quickly? Maybe. I mean, you, you can never say never, but the general consensus seems to feel seems to be rather amongst the fans on Twitter and forums and other podcast media outlets, etc. is that this is a sort of once in a generation thing that happens to a club to have a player like Sessignon arrive. I mean, I know we had the Harvey Elliott's and stuff and I know our academy is growing and it's one of the best things the Cairns have done is actually put so much money into that infrastructure. But I think, I don't think we will see anything like Ryan Sessignon again, but maybe something near enough to it. Just Talk due to brother, the- maybe. Well, maybe his brother. I mean, actually, you know what? I completely forgot about that. I mean, maybe, maybe. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. I think I'm just yeah. thinking now because of. It's strange because you know being a sort of being a forward is a, always a lot sexier than being a defender, and I think that's probably why I didn't think of uh, old Stephen just then. Probably, but maybe that's not fair. But it's again the maturity thing. You look at some videos that have been released of Harvey Elliott recently, um, you know, and like, and we all know, I mean, I know he's only 16 recently turned 17, but we all know, we all know how Ryan Sessegnon was a couple of years ago when he was 16. I even know how Ryan Sessegnon was when he was being bullied by Jan Matt and Watford last season. I mean, this is, I mean, Jan Matt's, I think a 30 year old man, literally laying into Sessegnon, trying to provoke him. And Sessegnon, this 18 year old is just absolutely cool as a whistle keeping his head and it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen him do actually is just keeping his head and being more professional and looking more professional than a 30 year old man it's just he's he's so he's really a rare breed when it comes to his maturity in my opinion so to put a long story short I don't think we will see anything quite like Sessignon again but I am hopeful that maybe players like Apuku or all these sort of things might have a similar effect 
Well, there's a, there's another setting on that's just joined as well. I, I think he's I think he's seven. I can't remember his, his first name or, or his exact relation. Um, but oh there, there's another there, there's another youngster that's that's joined the, the youth team. So in nine or ten Lovely. years' time, maybe we'll be talking again. Let's hope so. That'd be good. Um, all right. So so we went up to the Premier League. Amazing. Um, and I remember Seth being on the pitch. Uh, Wembley and Colin Murray interviewing him saying are you going to stay and he was 100% there's, there's no question about it then Tony Khan of course said there's no way Sessegnon's going anywhere but mm. in all honesty last season uh, in our, our, our Premier League season was just a bit of a disappointment all round but it was for, for Sessegnon as well um, he was in and out of the team he failed to replicate the form that he showed in the championship and it just looked like he was struggling a little bit and all right, he made 38 appearances. Many of those were, were off the bench, but he only scored two goals. Mm. Yeah, it, it was a, it's a really tricky one. I think that he, you know, he had all this promise from the last season, that a lovely assist and getting a, our first a, a win at Wembley and getting us promoted to the Premier League. And even, you know, everyone says it's Ranieri that destroyed him. I mean, he wasn't looking to, you know, too hot either when Slavisa was with us, even in the first few games. I mean, you know, he did, he scored a couple, but I, I think, uh, and assisted quite a, uh, a few, I believe, but th- there is something, I, I don't know. I just think, he, again, he is, you're joining, you're, when you join the Premier League, you're not just going up a league, you're going up a league and some extra type of air with it, you know, and I think that's something Ryan probably needed an extra half a season for for him to be mentally prepared for that. I mean, I know the goals that got him to that point were obviously gave him a lot of confidence and a lot of, uh, probably a lot of reasons for him to be optimistic that he could hack it in the Premier League. But I mean, as he and a lot of our players realise, it it just isn't that simple. And unfortunately, we went down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But one thing that he did do last season by scoring in the Premier League meant that he became the first player born in the in the 2000s to score a goal in the Premier League and that gives him a set having done that in the Football League too so even though it wasn't a brilliant season for him uh it he still managed to get that accolade I suppose yeah we like breaking records so you know, yeah. he helped he helped us do that once more which is fantastic okay so if you had to pick one there were lots of brilliant moments brilliant Ryan Sessegnon moments what's your favorite Ryan Sessegnon moment the thing is, I was originally going to say it was maybe the equaliser in the play um, in the playoffs uh, semi, but I mean, I don't think. I think that has to be. I, that almost feels like it's tarnishing Dennis Adoy slightly for his amazing header. True. So uh, you know, I just it, it feels wrong. I've got to say, I think it was Millwall away because that was uh, one of that was the first time I ever been to the Den, and uh, for me personally, I've never bit witnessed an atmosphere like it, and I, I think I was. And I was so drunk, I had tears in my eyes when Ryan was smacking the badge. <laughs> like, you know, but I, mean, it, I think it's got to be Millwall away, just for, you know, that was one of the best away game, games I've ever been to. And uh, just yeah. how Ryan took that chance was fantastic. I was going to say Millwall away as well. The build-up to that game was, there was so Man. much build-up because we were unbeaten for however many games it was. Millwall were unbeaten mm-hmm. and something had to give that night. Something was always going to give. And it was a balmy Friday night. Um, great yeah. atmosphere, uh, and yeah, l- like you, I'd be, I'd been in London Bridge before the game. Met up with an old friend of mine. We'd had a few beers, and every time the George, touched, oh, I can't remember where, which pub it was. May have been the George. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the, um, the 
the kind of Millwall fans were, were booing him every time he touched the ball. They thought we're trying try and intimidate the youngster and he just wasn't intimidated. And of course, straight after halftime, he comes out and takes advantage of the fact that their keeper spilled one and, and scored straight over to their fans with his hand, hand cut to his ears saying, yeah, give me all the abuse you want, but I'm, I'll take it. I'm still going to score. It's just um, a classic Sessegnon goal, wasn't it? Just the, it the, was. the, the, sort of the poachiness of it. Poach. Wonderful. And his reaction was so much quicker than anybody else's once that ball became free as well. He was onto it like a shot and great finish through, I think it was through the keeper's legs. I mean, there are, I mean, scored. I feel like he really scored, but I feel like I mean, you know, I, I feel bad in a way to suggesting Millwall because I mean, obviously he, his first hat trick was uh, Sheffield United, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was. And Sheffield I, I was, I, I was close to suggesting that, but I just think for me personally, uh, watching it live and just the atmosphere and, and what it meant, you yeah. know, we were on a we were on an unbeaten run and Millwall were on a slight one as well. It was just a huge game and just the atmosphere was electric. But I was I was considering Sheffield United just for that, that Sheffield United game was was probably in November, just before we started winning um or we went on that winning winning run. But Millwall was right at the end of the season. Everything was just coming together. We still had a we're still in with a shout of automatic promotion. Um, and because that game was live on Sky on the Friday night as well, he was being interviewed on the pitch after the game. We were all kept in after the game for a bit. Everyone mm. was singing his name. Then he came over to us afterwards, and it was almost like he was conducting the fans. That's how I remember it. I, I just Lovely. loved it. Perfect. Yeah. Just a perfect moment. Um, all right, so we're both agreed, I think, on, on our favourite set in your moment. But what about your favourite set in your goal? Oh, well, I mean... Talking about Sheffield United, that was his first hat trick, and um, his first, he nearly got a hat trick, um, I believe, at Newcastle, um, but he wasn't given the penalty to take. Luckily, he was able to get his hat trick eventually with Sheffield United. But that Newcastle game was a huge standout for Session. I remember very much. You know, I just remember thinking, this is this is when I really had a feeling that Session was going to play for one of the top two teams in England, or maybe the top four, but. Yeah, I, I would say my favourite Sessignon goal was the second one he scored against Newcastle because up until that point, a lot of Sessignon's goals had been poachy, deflecty, uh, you know, him rescuing a shot that failed off someone else or hit someone else. This second shot was just an absolute, almost Thierry Henry sort of style boom. It was uh, that second goal that he scored yeah. against Newcastle for me was just such a finish, so composed, just so deadly and just like an arrow. It was brilliant. So I'm going to say his second against Newcastle was my favourite goal for him because it changed it. That's when I started, that's when I just started thinking, I started to see a huge evolution in his finishing and and his, you know, goal scoring. Newcastle were top of the championship at the time, weren't they? And they were the runaway leaders. And for us to go there and did did we win... Four, four, one was it, or something like that? I think it was three, one. I think was it only three? Yeah, maybe you're right. Oh yeah, because we missed a penalty in the last minute, didn't we? Tim Reid missed. Anyway, and, I, yeah, I, and that's what I, that's what I wanted. That's why we all thought Ryan yeah, should have taken it. To exactly. Yeah, exactly. But but that that kind of gave him national press because Newcastle mm. are a big club. They were top of the championship. They were on the verge of coming back uh, with Rafa to the Premier League, and and we just went out there and Ryan Sessegnon taught them a new one so that yeah I, I completely understand why you picked that goal I'm, a, I'm obviously much more of a glory hunter I'm going for the the playoff goal um, the equaliser against Derby just because lovely the, the tension in, in the air that night we were we were a goal down after the first leg half time we'd had some good chances in the first half that hadn't, hadn't quite happened for us 
but he's taken that down and just buried it from close range. And again, the occasion, the the the, the release and the the atmosphere, and you know mm. what what eventually happened. We ended up going to Wembley off off the back of that springboard. So for me, that that was Sessegnon's uh, best goal. I, I you know what I couldn't agree more. And I, I the only reason I didn't pick that was just some sort of I, I don't know allegiance to Adoy in my head. I've got to say, actually, that game, I don't want to sound like a troll here, but everyone always talks about Wembley being the best, you know, full of memory of their lives. I've got to say that I think Derby, for me, actually almost tops it just by a millimetre, just because of how I've never experienced the courage like that as long as I've been a fan of Fulham, which is, you know, a very long time. Were you on the pitch? I was indeed. I was yeah. indeed. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Not very long though. I sort of. I got too. I got kind of scared. Like everyone did it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I just like, ran like really Sorry. late. And by the time, yeah, but by, by the time I ran on, everyone had to go. I was like, oh. I told myself if we get there, I'm not going on the pitch because because yeah, yeah. you know I, I live in Reading, and when when Reading um, <laughs> when Reading beat us in the playoffs, and they ran on the pitch and then didn't go up. I, I spent a lot of time taking the piss out of Reading fans saying we went on the pitch for no reason. And I thought yeah. to myself, I don't want to be in that position. And then I did it anyway. Um, yeah, but yeah, exactly. like, like, you know, I remember the, um, the, the, the bloke on the, on the PA coming across saying, um, if you're spotted on the pitch, get off the pitch. If you're spotted on the pitch, it'll affect your application for Wembley tickets. But, now, <laughs> but then, then they were selling prints of everybody being on the pitch in the club shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Nuts. I love it. Anyway, it's all all good natured. So, um, all right. So we go up, and I mentioned it earlier. Um, Seth said on the pitch that he was going to stay with us. I felt like he he wanted to play for Fulham in the Premier League. Yeah. Absolutely, and I, you know, I mean, why, why wouldn't he? I mean, he just he just helped us get up. He, he, it's it was worth. What's the best way to describe it? It was worth an investigation uh, with yeah. Fulham for at least a season. It was a worthy investigation because it's his boyhood club, and you know why not? It should have it should have gone it should have gone okay. We've got one of the we've got the fifth richest owner in the English league. I mean, it should have gone better than it did. He had every right to sort of decide to try it out for a season. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it kind of give him some sort of closure as well. You know, I've, I've yeah, I've been with the club since I was a little boy, and now I've I've played for them for a season in the Premier League. And now let's let's go and have a sniff and see see what's uh, see see what happens elsewhere. But I watched that video actually that the club put out. It's like 40 minutes worth of Sessegnon tribute. And it's really good. I urge anyone to watch it. That's that's got Fulham. I haven't actually video. watched it yet. I'm going to watch it later on. Yeah, it's, it's good. But and there's a moment in there when I think it's his agent who says he sat down with Seth and said to him, look, you're aware of what's going on. Um, do you want to stay at Fulham or do you want to go elsewhere? And he said, I just want to get better. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's, that's a mark of the man. I, I don't care where it is. Just send me somewhere, send me to the place where I can be the best version of myself. And that's that's just sums him up, really, I think. He's so frustratingly, he's such a better He's so more mature than me. Yeah, say. exactly. Like, I know. <laughs> I know. It makes you take a look at yourself, doesn't it? I think, God, I, I need to be more like Seth. But we always wonder what might have been had he stayed. Um, mm. it, and it kind of makes me wonder as well what the point is of bringing academy players through when you see somebody like Harvey Elliott leave before he's even started. I do, I do kind of think to myself, this season, if Seth had stayed at Fulham, I wonder what he could have achieved compared to how it's going to go for him at Spurs. How will he play much at Spurs this season? I don't know. I really hope he does. And I hope he goes on to have an amazing career 
I hope it's a decorated career and I hope he gets in the England team and stays there for his whole career. But part of me just thinks, had he stayed this season, what would have happened? Yeah, I mean, and and to answer your question about Spurs, I I think once he's completely injury-free, I think he'll start rotating. But with Danny Rose or with Son, I'm not sure. I do remember Pochettino saying that he would like to try... Uh, session out as a forward and you know that is definitely the right move to make you don't the whole reason Spurs have him is because of his record his goal record as a forward that's how they perved on him in the first place so, I mean yeah. you know they've got to try him there for God's sake um, but when it comes to what would have happened if he had stayed that's a, a, a million dollar what if question because you know, if he had, st- he had, he obviously has now developed a record and an understanding of the championship. So if he came back, he probably would have felt a lot more right mentally. I can do this, and it might have been different. However, for the rush that we are in to get back up, there is just something that I think that Cavalero can a- apply a lot quicker, a lot better than. I mean, Cavalero and. Ryan Sessing, though, chalk and cheese. You know, Cavalera shoots his goals from outside the box, or like quite a lot. Well, we're taking a lot of chances outside the box at the moment, anyway. But, you know, Ryan Sessing is just, I don't know. I, I think if he had stayed, I think eventually he still would have probably gone the next season and we might not have gone up as quick, actually, which is an odd thing to say. What do you think? Um, I would have liked to see him stay, and I think he would have played. Um, yeah. I don't know if it would have been instead of Knockart or Cavalero, but I feel yeah. like um, Sessegnon and Mitrovic is a better combination because Sessegnon <laughs> is less selfish than Knockart and, Caval- and Cavalero. But mm. at the same time, I, I don't know. I don't well, know, you know, I, that's, a, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, we've completely, what I've completely forgot to mention is that his, his relationship with Mitro in that, you know, in that amazing season was so strong and you know the whole reason I mean we we mustn't actually forget the rise of Cessna wasn't just down to his understanding with Mitro it was also the implementation is that the right word or the installation rather of um uh oh god target yeah yeah, and yeah of, course. Would, of course. Without without Matty Target, Ryan Sessegnon would have had the season he had, and of course without Mitrovic. So it was like a, a perfect storm for his greatness that season. But but going back to what you were saying, yeah, I do actually think maybe I was being a bit harsh. If Ryan Sessegnon had have stayed another season, I'm sure we'd still have very high hopes of going straight back up. But there is something, I don't know, I just, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see him, he would have stayed, to be honest. Yeah, no, well, the last time he was in the championship, he was the championship player of the season. So had he stayed, mm-hmm. he'd have been amazing. But he didn't, yeah. and he, he went on to to play for a club that's in the Champions League. And like I say, I hope he's in their team regularly, and I'll be I'll be watching out for him every week. Um, I really, really hope it's a successful time for him as Spurs. Well, yeah, right, and okay, it's well, a, sorry, man. I was just going to say also. I mean, it's a very good platform for him, but you know with Spurs players at the moment for making their England caps and hopefully we'll see Ryan Sessegnon potentially in in the starting lineup maybe for World Cup 26. Who knows? Hope so. Hope so. Be lovely. All right. So let's rate his career at full amount of 10 then as we always do. So you have to give Ryan Sessegnon a mark out of 10 and show your workings for his career and for his time at Fulham. I'm just going to... I'm going to say 10. I'm going to say 10 because I don't think... I don't think a player, I think he's literally done all he can do for Fulham. He got us promoted to the Premier League. He assisted the goal for our first win ever at Wembley. He was our 
broke records for us for being the youngest to score, you know, all, all these things. Um, I just think with Sessegnon, it was inevitable he was going to leave us. And I think we got a ridiculous amount of gasoline out of him for such a short amount of time and at such a young age. And it's freaky. And I think he is a complete example of what I want all Fulham players to be. So I, I couldn't say anything more than a perfect 10 out of 10 for Ryan Sessions' career at Fulham. And I hope one day he might come back when he's like 32 or something. Who knows? Yeah, that would be lovely to get him back at the end of his career again. That would be great. Um, I'd, I'd love to give him a 10, but I, I can't get past the fact that he didn't do it in the Premier League last season. It was, it was such a disappointing season for him for whatever reason. So I think I'm going to have to give him... I'm going to give him an 8. Uh, yeah. Fair. And I think if, if he'd have stayed, uh, stayed on with us this season and had another go at the Premier League with us, then possibly it could have been elevated. But as things stand, um, amazing, amazing, amazing in the Championship. A bit disappointed in the Premier League, but I, he's so young and he deserves his opportunity at a bigger club than Fulham. So good luck to the bloke. Yeah. I'm just being a bit too emotional. I've had too I've had too many sherries. I'm, I'm <laughs> Good man. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, mate. Let's um, let's pass it back to the main show. Cheers. Fulham. All right, so we've had some good battles with Wigan dating back to the '96 '97 race for the title. Um, Marcy, any games that particularly stand out for you with Wigan? Uh, yeah, I vaguely remember uh, going to uh, an away game, uh, I think it was, and uh, we won 2-1, which amazingly enough, it was Hugo Rodiega and Damian Duff scoring. Uh, that was that was a good game, it stands out, because it was the first time I'd been to the stadium as well. So that will be, in my memory, as a good game. Quite, We picked up a few uh, cards that game as well, if I remember rightly. Did we? I've, I've been up there a few times, but back when it was called the JJB, we we played a couple of um, League Cup games up there, um, like midweek League Cup games and just sticking out the reserve teams. And I think we lost lost both times I went up there. Um, I've been up there for League games since. I remember Andy Johnson scoring a late equaliser. And I'm was I was I'm old enough to, be, to have been around in the 96-97 season as well when uh, when we played Wigan at home, when Wigan ended up pipping us to the, to the title in Division 3, as it was then. Um, and I think in that game at the Cottage... Uh, we were we were a goal down, and then Mark Blake scored quite a late penalty. Mark Blake was was our centre half at the time, but he he scored every penalty he took that season. He was a cracking penalty taker, something that we could have done with a few years ago when we couldn't score a penalty for love nor money. Um, but yeah, we've had some good battles with Wigan over the years, and and yeah, that that I think that that game with Wigan in the ninety six ninety seven season is the one that stands out the most for me. What about you, Danny? Well, I think it has to be when Michael Jackson came to the cottage. I think that has to be the standout for me. Yeah, I was a bit worried you was going to say that one, to be fair, because then I would have been struggling. But um, (laughs) yeah, I remember being there, would have been, what, it was 98, 99 promotion season, wasn't it? So, Hmm. and it was near the end of the season, so about about March sort of time. So it was a good feel factor around the cottage at the time, and we all took it uh, for, for what it was, you know, a typical sort of Fulham moment. Oh, you know, here we go. Michael Jackson's, Michael Jackson's got his umbrella out. And, yeah, yeah, it, so it, random. It was surreal. I mean, obviously at the time. Oh, nice. Was, See uh, what you've done there. See what you've done there. What a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that joke was bad. Yeah, that was poor. Yeah, oh, no. you, you, you missed another Michael Jackson reference there, didn't you? 
gutted. I, gutted. You you missed my bad joke. Oh yeah. Uh, you know what? It, it's getting late. It's getting late, and uh, I'm not sure. That is sure sorry. Is that, is, is that one of his songs as well? I <laughs> uh, love it. Right. Yeah. But, so that would be my favourite memory. Other than that, I mean, I remember when Philip Senderos um, scored the winner uh, late on against Wigan. I think it was a winner. Might have been an equaliser, knowing Big Phil. But uh, yeah, <laughs> knowing him, knowing him and his notorious equalisers. <laughs> from 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 MJ to Big Phil, you know, it yeah. just don't get much better than that. Clearly, was the man in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, hello. Jesus, he's piping up. He's joining in. Oh dear. All right, blame it on the Marty. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Let's move on, Christ's sake. So we took Jimmy Bullard from, from Wigan in 2006 for a couple of million quid. Um, Going to ask you for a quick one-liner memory of the charismatic midfielder who always divides opinion. Marty, you first. Jimmy Bullard. Yeah, I was so happy when we got him. It was an absolute devastation for all Wigan fans that we got him. Uh, my dad was really high on him. He was, well, pulling up trees for Wigan, liking a route. Obviously, it's famous about him playing golf in the hotel where Real Madrid was in, and he blamed it on Thomas Graveson, obviously. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, I, the one thing that stands out, obviously, he got injured by, amazingly enough, our gaffer, Scott Parker, which a horrific injury. What would have been? But when he came back, uh, that free kick against Aston Villa is a definite standout for me. Uh, I, I'm always a fan. I, I enjoyed his banter, including when he was in I'm a Celebrity. But yeah, I, I could see why he divides opinion. Nice one. What about you, Danny? Yeah, I mean, can relate to him because we're from the same part of, you know, the world. And I see in his personality a, a lot of traits that I saw in a, a lot of people growing up around me. But for me, he was the class clown that maybe let his jokes and his antics overshadow just how talented he was. Uh, and and like Marty said, you know, you remember him for all the silly jokes and, and, and pranks that he played on people. And, and that's, what I suppose, what made him so lovable for everybody else. But when you see him play week in, week out, he was a much better player than people give him credit for. And I suppose, although it, the way he left was, was very um, bitter and he's apologised since, so I suppose let it go. We should be thankful for his contribution during the Great Escape when he came back. I don't think there's many players that could have come back after such a long-term injury and played such a big part at the top level in, in keeping the club up. So if he hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have gone on to play in Europe and, and all, all the rest of it. So I suppose, in a way, you know, we, we should be thankful for his contribution to Fulham. It, it was more, far more positive than it was negative for me. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. I was I was just going to do a silly one as as my memory. I went to uh, I went to Exeter away in a pre season friendly that summer that he joined, and um, I think it was nil nil. And all the players were kind of sat around on the pitch uh, at the end of the game, and and I don't know why we were still there at the end of the game to be honest. But we'd gone down on the train and had a few to drink, so um, and you could just go on and you could have have pictures with the players. And I went on to get a picture with Jimmy, and put my arm around him, and a mate of mine was taking the picture on on my phone because. Back then, you didn't have those front-facing cameras so you could take a proper selfie. So I had to get my mate to take it. And he stood there and he looked a little bit confused and he pressed a button and went, there you go. 
he hadn't taken the picture. So I'd stood there and just had my arm around Jimmy Bullard for a few seconds for absolutely no reason at all. So there you go. That's that's my Jimmy Bullard story anyway. My my granddad took me nan on on like a, a cruise all ran all ran Europe and uh took took a camera with him and uh, took loads of photos and when they got home there was no film in the camera. So um uh, made lots of memories, but uh they, they had to stay in the uh, the old nugget, you know, unfortunately. Brilliant. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Uh, all right. Um let's um let's move on. Let's Stato's pull some stats together as he always does. So I'll just go through some Fulham Wigan stats. We've had 46 meetings and we've only been playing them since 1986, actually. But since then, Fulham have won 19, Wigan have won 10, and there's been 17 draws. Uh, the last time we played them at the cottage, we beat them 3-2 in February 2017. Neeskins Cabano scored a last-minute winner. Uh, the last time we lost to Wigan was 2006, so it's quite a while ago. Uh, Henri Camera scored in a 1-0 win for Wigan, and since then we've played them 17 times, and as I said, we haven't lost a single one of those games. Former players that we share with Wigan, Dan Byrne, who's now applying his trade bizarrely for Brighton in the Premier League, uh, Ryan Tunnicliffe, Luke Garbutt, Shay Ojo, William Quist, Hugo Rodiega and Jimmy Bullard, as we've as we've already both mentioned. Um, Michael Brown. Form, pardon? Michael Brown and Jeff Horsfield. Michael Brown as well. Yeah, that's going back a little bit further. But yeah, th- yeah, did Michael Brown play for them? I didn't know. And Jeff. I love Jeff. Jeff's one of my favourite players. He was great. Anyway, we'll probably yeah, we'll have to do a we'll have to do a player focus on him at some point. He's he's a proper legend. Um, Wigan's current form, they're in 19th position. Out of their eight games, they've won two, drawn two and lost four. They've only scored eight and conceded 13 goals. Um, Last weekend, they beat Charlton and that was their first win since the opening day. Um, Their away form is really poor, actually. It's comparable with with ours from from last season. They they only won two away games all season last year in in the championship. And finished 18th. Uh, they only scored 22 goals and conceded 44 away from home last season with only one clean sheet. So it sounds like we uh, we're odds on favourites to score, but you know you can sometimes never rely on the on the form table. Uh, they signed David Marshall, the goalkeeper from Hull, on a free transfer in the summer. Um, I remember him having a particularly good season for Cardiff when they were in the Premier League, although Cardiff obviously were relegated that season, but he was a, a real shining light for them. So um, that's that's certainly strengthened them at the back. Um, they've also signed Lewis McLeod from Brentford amongst uh, some other players. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough test come, coming off the back of the results that we've had recently, three draws in a row. Um, their manager, Paul Cook, is a former player of theirs, a former Portsmouth manager, but not the sort of manager that I think is ever going to be ripping up any trees in this division. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on, on Wigan this season? Potentially not, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Marty? I think many predicted them to struggle this season, but uh, that result against Charlton was definitely caught everyone off guard, and that's a really good result. So they'll be definitely looking to build on that. Yeah, their their tails are certainly up. What about you, Danny? Any anything to add on Wigan? I'm gonna be honest. I'm a Fulham fan. I ain't got a clue about Wigan, if I'm being honest. Um yes. I look at the table and think, well, 
there's a batch of clubs that you expect to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season in the top half of the table. And there's a batch of clubs that you ex- expect to be down the bottom half of the table. Wigan are one of those teams. I think there's 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 no um there's nothing to boast about from our point of view. We we spent 100 million last year and they're a club that has recently uh battled between the championship and league 1. So the teams are going to be worlds apart in terms of quality on paper. But we've seen with with um the team so far that on paper, you know, stats and and possession and how good your team looks means nothing if you if you ain't got to put it into practice in the 90 minutes. So if we play to the best of our ability like we did against Millwall, then I don't think anybody in this division is good enough to stop us. And certainly Wigan might, will find it very hard. So I think it depends when we get the first goal. If we can score very early, like we did against Millwall, then it could be a very long night. The Cholton result was um, obviously impressive, but my gut was always telling me that Cholton were going to slow down. The international break was obviously um, a disaster for them. They lost Lyle Taylor um, to injury. He played for his in a, a national team. And without their, their talisman, they were never going to be the same sort of prospect. So I'm not sure the result was as impressive as maybe it appears. So I fully expect us to win. And if we don't, then Scott Parker is under immense pressure for me. Yeah, I'm sure many people would concur with what you're saying. In fact, you might say you're not alone. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> All right, guys, let's get a score prediction then. Marty, what do you think? Ah, remember the time. Right, OK. <laughs> uh, I was hoping to say 3-0 after maybe getting a result against Sheffield Wednesday. But as the same scoreline keeps coming up and it's 8-1 to one on the moment on Skybet, I'm going to say 1-1. Crikey. All right. Let's hope, let's hope you're wrong. Uh, Danny, score prediction? I think he needs to take a walk to the bus stop. <laughs> Is that Michael Jackson's song? <laughs> hey, that, don't stop till you get it up. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Google it. Google it. Um, oh, yeah, so, um, you know, over, <laughs> bore, bore off, Marty. It can't be a one-all. It's got to be a win. It's got to be. I'm going to say... The uh, Scott Parker train's going to finally take off and we're going to win 4-0. I was going to say 4-0 as well. Well, you can, but you'll be copying. Well, I'll okay. copy then. I'm going to copy. Four, two 4 nils and a one all. How do you feel, Marty? Well, it's <laughs> going to be a thriller, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope it is a thriller. All right, guys. Um, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure to speak to you both. As always, thank you at home for joining us. Keep an eye out on FulhamFocus.com for an opposition focus this week, plus match reaction on Monday morning. We'll be back on Monday morning with all the wig and fallout. If you already subscribe to the podcast, the show will be delivered to you without you having to lift a finger. If you don't yet subscribe, then go on, treat yourself. It might be the best decision you make today. Then again, maybe it won't be. Who knows what you lot are up to. Finally, just to say good luck to J-Mac, who's getting married on Saturday. I would have loved to have been there, but it seems my postman has done a Marty Ward, so God only knows who ended up with my invite. Quite literally lost in the post. Anyway, all the best for a fantastic day, my friend. Good luck. See you all at the cottage on Friday night. Cheers.
Fulham. <lacht>